mm-hmm. I then realized that no, this is something more serious than just muscle ache or something. I had to crawl to the window to catch to get my phone. And it was an extremely hot day. I remember literally sweating because it was so hot. And I managed to crawl to my phone. It was a bit of a struggle. I managed to get to the phone by the window. Once I got to the phone, I grabbed the phone, phone called 999. They managed to send out paramedics to me ASAP. I kept calling them every like two, three minutes to find out where they were, but they kept reassuring me that they were on their way. They arrived about 20 to 30 minutes after I made that initial first phone call. And after that phone call, they passed my bus downstairs. I lived in a, in a block of flats at the time, but I could not let them in because I could not get up off the floor. Not long after that, I went in for a scan of my brain to see exactly where the blood clot was, which is in the right side of my brain. And when I came out of that scan, they told me that they can't do the operation on my brain because they don't think that I'll, I came in within the, the time frame. So they managed to give me a pill which dissolved the blood clot. All I remember is that that evening, that night when I was at the ICU unit at the Royal London Hospital, the White Chapel, London, all I remember is that I had a terrible headache for hours and hours. I literally couldn't sleep. I just remember it was literally the worst headache I've ever had in my life. Somehow I managed to get a few hours sleep, I think around 3 a.m. Hello, this is Mark Goodyear. Welcome to Stroke Stories. It's the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. In this episode, we hear from Nama and Jovu from West London, who suffered a stroke at the age of 32. Before I had this stroke, my lifestyle, well, I was always working. I used to run a recruitment company in central London, and I used to work a ridiculous amount of hours every day. I used to work from like 7 a.m. till like 10 p.m. every night. So I was really busy at work. But then on the weekends, I used to kind of take my mind away from work. So I'd drink with friends and stuff down the pub and stuff. So I used to drink a lot of alcohol on the weekends. I used to smoke cigarettes. And my diet was not too great at the, um, during that period as well. I used to eat a lot of taking and stuff because I was living alone. I just returned back from a holiday in the Dominican Republic. I was laying on my bed one afternoon and I was not feeling too good. Constantly throwing up a few hours before that. I'm not feeling too well at all. My head was kind of spinning in a, in a way. I put my phone down by my window and then I went to lay on my bed. At around, that was around 2 p.m. Two hours or so later, I tried to get up. I realized that my left leg literally just gave way and I fell to the ground. Now, I thought it might be in the way I'd slept or something because I'd never experienced that type of weakness before. I then realized that, no, this is something more serious than just muscle ache or something. I had to crawl to the window to catch to get my phone. And it was an extremely hot day. I remember literally sweating because it was so hot. And I managed to crawl to my phone. It was a bit of a struggle. I managed to get to the phone by the window. Once I got to the phone, I grabbed the phone, phone called 999. When I tried to speak, I realized that my speech really slurred. I was just not right. I sounded like I was drunk or something. But then luckily, they managed to hear me. I gave um, the paramedics my postcode or my door number. And they managed to send out paramedics to me ASAP. I kept calling them every like two, three minutes to find out where they were, but they kept reassuring me that they were on their way. They arrived about 20 to 30 minutes after I made that initial first phone call. And after that phone call, they passed my bus downstairs. I lived in a, in a block of flats at the time, but I could not let them in because I could not get up off the floor. So I had to call 999 again to tell them that, look, I'm stuck on the floor and the paramedics are downstairs trying to get in, but I can't open the door for them. So somehow they managed to get in through the door downstairs. Now, when they came to my apartment door, I had to call up 999 again to tell them, again, look, I cannot get up because they managed to get in through the first door downstairs, but they can't get in through my main door now because 
I'm still on the floor and I can't get up. So they had to smash my door down. They found me in my room. I was laying on the floor. And they could see it. I was out of breath because I was struggling to get to my thought before that. And I was really anxious. I was out of breath. I was sweating. It was a really hot day. And the man looked at me. And the first thing he said to me was that, we think you're having a stroke. So stay with us. And then they told me that they were going to rush me to the local stroke unit, which at that time was Royal London Hospital. So they managed to put me in one of the stretches. And they took me downstairs into the paramedics van. And then they put on the sirens and rushed me to Royal London Hospital. When I got to the hospital, they took me to the ICU unit. They asked me what happened. I tried to explain to them what happened and the paramedics team explained to them as well. And then they asked me questions about how long ago I did the stroke. Now, at that time, I was a bit confused because I had no idea what was going on. I mean, to be fair, I actually had no idea what stroke actually was at the time because I was associated with strokes with older people. And I had no, I, as far as I was concerned at that time, I was too young. So they asked me a, lot, a number of questions. They tried to figure out what time I had the stroke to see if I was eligible to have the operation to remove the blood clot. Not long after that, I went in for a scan of my brain to see exactly where the blood clot was, which is in the right side of my brain. And when I came out of that scan, they told me that they can't do the operation on my brain because they don't think that I came in within the, the time frame. The doctors told my mother that Look, we, can't give, we can't do the surgery to break on his on the skull right now because we don't think that he's within the time frame. For us to be able to do, he had a stroke within the space of an hour or two or something. I think it might be a little bit longer. And to be honest with you, I actually had no idea how long ago I had this stroke at the time. I was really confused. So they managed to give me a pill which dissolved the blood clot. All I remember is that that evening, that night when I was at ICU unit at the Royal London Hospital, the White Chapel, London, all I remember is that I had a terrible headache for hours and hours. I literally couldn't sleep. I just remember it was literally the worst headache I've ever had in my life. Somehow I managed to get a few hours sleep, I think around 3 a.m. In the morning, the doctors came into my room and they did a few tests where they made me sit up and I kept falling to the left-hand side whilst sat up over the bed. I kept falling to the left-hand side because obviously I had no sort no of strength on my left-hand side. And then the doctor explained to me what happened. But even at this point, my, it was still not registering how serious the condition actually was. We went for another scan in the morning, and luckily um, the blood clot had gone, which was good news. But obviously the left side of my body was still incredibly weak and numb. I couldn't feel it, and I couldn't walk either. So that's when I was told that you're going to be in a wheelchair until we can get you back onto your feet through physiotherapy. Nama was moved to a rehabilitation clinic close to his family home. My mom lived in Norfolk, where I am now. So my mom asked if I could be transferred to a local hospital near her, the Hillingdale Stroke Unit. That's where I was transferred to the rehab team. And they told me that they're going to try and get me back on my feet. They did tell me that it was not going to be easy. It's going to be, it's going to be hard work to get me back onto my feet because I, had, I suffered a major stroke. And at this time, I, was, I couldn't walk. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go to the toilet alone. I couldn't do anything alone. So, And even the time I went to go to the toilet, I know it's a bit too much information, but... I had to go to the toilet on the bed and I had to have a bed bath because I could not get up. And you know, I was going to be away from the world for a little while. I did not know how long that little while would be, but I knew somehow I had some sort of faith that I was going to get back onto my feet. I remember literally it was during the period of the 2018 World Cup and all I could hear outside was people making noise in the pubs. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, that's been my life. I used to be like watching football in the pubs making noise, having beers and stuff like that. But now I'm sat here in a wheelchair looking at the window in a ward full of other stroke survivors. And emotionally, that really affected me emotionally and mentally because 
and I felt I kind of missed my old life, even though my old life was not great in terms of drinking alcohol excessively. But I kind of still missed it because I missed the buzz of being out of friends, being in a pub, watching football. They then told me that they'd have to um, move me to another rehab ward called Daniel's Ward, which is another hospital in Northwood. So they transferred me to the other ward, Daniel's Ward, where, which is another rehab ward, three weeks after um, I arrived at the stroke unit to the Hillington Hospital. So when I got to Daniel's Ward at Mount Vernon Hospital, they assessed me and they told me that once again, it was going to be a tough journey for me and I need to be patient as well at the same time. But they're going to try their best to get me back on my feet. And this was now around towards the end of July. And so they gave me a bed in the men's rehab ward. For the next three months after that, I was literally having to wake up around half seven in the morning and to go and do physiotherapy up, upstairs in the, in the gym, which was really exhausting because I remember like I, I used to feel so tired because I had hardly got any sleep at night time because as you can imagine, sleeping in the hospital, there's so much noise, people making noise, people on phone calls. And so I barely got enough sleep during my time. I managed to go through the three months of intensive rehab to get back my feet. And finally, around sep- mid-September, they told me that I was ready to take my first few steps. And I was like, wow, am I? And they told me, yes, I think you're ready now to get, take your, your first few steps. At this time, bear in mind, I'd been in a wheelchair for the past five months. So I was so used to being in a wheelchair and being pushed around by people. Or, or, or obviously, sometimes being pushed around by, by myself. But it was a one-handed steering wheel, one-handed wheelchair. My first few steps was a bit of a struggle. They gave me this large stick to start walking with. So my first few steps was a bit of a struggle. I remember thinking to myself, this is all scary. Because even though I'd walked before, it was like a brand new thing. I felt like a newborn baby learning how to walk, honestly. I fell down a few times and that made me even more anxious because I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I don't even know how to walk. And I kept falling down. But then, ever kept falling down, got the determination to figure out how to walk and the courage as well. I was walking up and down in the ward. About a few weeks after that, I got a bit more confident and I started to walk confident and then I started to walk outside by myself, my walking stick. Beginning of October now, they told me that um, we think you'll be ready, ready to, to be discharged in the next three weeks or so. And I told them, okay, that's fine. Now, at that point, I was a bit hesitant to leave the ward because I felt like the, the hospital was kind of like my safe place. But they told me no. It's the time to go home, to go through a recovery by yourself now. And I understood because I had to get back to my normal life and I had to get back to, to recovery outside of the ward. Coming up, Nama talks about post-stroke adjustment. It's been a gradual process of acceptance. Even now, sometimes I do feel a bit sad sometimes now, but I know that the stroke has changed me for the best. Even though I still got half a body, I honestly believe my stroke has changed me for the best. I'm much more healthier now. I'm more empathetic towards people. I see life from a totally different angle. And his new social life. I think the first year or two, I went through a period of serious grieving where I was grieving my former life. But now I've kind of accepted it as it's gone. And I think you have to reach, you reach that point where you have to accept it, it's gone. So I feel like I'm having to literally be a totally new person. I mean, I don't drink anymore now. I quit drinking smoking from the time I had a stroke or so, and I live, a very, I live a very different lifestyle now. I've got a few, very few selective friends now, and my interests have changed as well. After many months in rehab, Nama returned home. I was discharged end of October, and I came to live with my little brother and my mum, and that's where the journey began of my proper recovery. Life felt extremely different because 
I was not, I was not the same person I used to be. Um, a lot of my old friends had moved on with their lives. They were enjoying their lives, going on holidays, doing all sorts. And I remember looking at oh, my Facebook account, account thinking to myself, oh my gosh, everyone just continued their lives. My life is just like, literally at a standstill. I got so depressed because I felt like I was missing out loud. I felt like my life had been robbed for me. Only people were not really still there for me. Literally, that is my family. So my GP referred me to a local psychologist who I still see sometimes now. And she helped me to see things from a different angle. After a few weeks, I accepted that my life has changed forever. And I had to resume back to my normal standard life, which took a while to accept. But a few weeks after I did, I managed to accept it. But it's been a gradual process of acceptance. Even now, sometimes I do feel a bit sad sometimes now. But I know that the stroke has changed me for the best, even though I still got half a body. I honestly believe my stroke has changed me for the best. I'm much more healthier now. I'm more empathetic towards people. I see life from a totally different angle. I can resonate with people's struggles. Like when I'm outside, I see other people, other people who are disabled. I really feel for them now because I know how it feels like to be disabled because I'm disabled myself. So I become much more empathetic as a person, individual. And I always say this, even if I had a, now four years down the line, I always say this, even if I had a chance to reverse the stroke, I would not. And the reason why I say that is because I've discovered who I really am and I found out more things about myself, which I didn't know before. Nama is still living with the physical repercussions of his stroke, but he's happy with his recovery. I still can't use my left hand, so I'm actually one-handed now. I can walk for hours actually now. I can walk for long distances. I go to the gym two to three times a week on average. I go swimming every Tuesdays. I do physiotherapy privately once every two weeks. And then when I don't see my physiotherapist, I do self-directed exercises at home, which obviously, I mean, you have to be really disciplined to do things alone, which can be a bit of a struggle sometimes because sometimes I think to myself, oh my gosh, am I ever going to recover fully? But I, I now understand that it's a long journey. It's a marathon. It's not a race. But I believe in my heart that I will make a good recovery. I may not ever fully recover. But I honestly believe I can make a good recovery. Where I am now compared to where I was four years ago, I'm in a totally different place. I mean, I'm back to work now. I, I work from home um, three days a week. and also volunteer at the Stroke Association once a week as well. And I do other I volunteer work in my local community as well. I volunteer at my local food bank and, and at my local church. I would say life is back to normal but i do struggle with things like confidence at times i struggle with like confidence and because obviously when i'm walking up and down someone can tell that there's something wrong with my leg and people always ask me um did you injure your leg when i told them i had a stroke they'd be surprised and i always get the same response oh you, you're too you're too young to have a stroke but i've heard that so many times to be fair things like trying to look for a partner a lifetime partner like a wife or a long-term girlfriend is a bit of a struggle because I always feel like um, would someone really accept me with my disabilities? Would somebody want to be with a with a man who is partially disabled or disabled? I get a bit anxious about that area there. The fear of the future, you know, will I ever get married? Will I ever have kids? What will happen in the future? And for me, it really does bother me. I mean, I've been on a few dating sites, but nothing has materialized. Not to do not, not nothing to do with my stroke, but. It just hasn't materialized, but sometimes it kind of affected me because I thought I think to myself, am I going to actually have a normal life like anybody else, like everybody else does again? Even though I do have a normal life now, I mean, I'm independent, I'm working, and part of me still feels like I'm, sometimes I feel like I'm mourning my former life in a way. I think the first year or two, 
I went through a period of serious grieving where I was grieving my former life. But now I've kind of accepted it as it's gone. And I think you have to reach, you reach that point where you have to accept it's gone. So I feel like I'm having to literally be a totally new person. I mean, I don't drink anymore now. I quit drinking and smoking from the time I had a stroke. So I, and I live a very, I've lived a very different lifestyle now. I've got a few, very few selective friends now. And my interests have changed as well. Here's Nama's advice for stroke survivors and their loved ones. To stroke survivor, I would say be patient and be strong. You will make a good recovery. You can make a good recovery. It's all about what you put in. I advise any stroke survivor to have a positive mindset and see things in a positive way. Yes, you may have lost, lost your, your mobility or lost your function in your hand or you may have lost your speech, but have faith that things will get better one day. And that faith will drive you to really make an effort to recover or make a good recovery. To loved ones and caregivers, I'll say, be patient with a stroke survivor. No matter how angry, frustrated the stroke survivor may get, because bear in mind, you need to put yourself in, there, in, in the stroke survivor's shoes. He or she has lost their life. They've lost their independence. And sometimes they can easily get angry and say the wrong things at the wrong time. So avoid getting frustrated with your, with your loved one. You know, try to put yourself in their shoes. If you, even if you, I used to get angry quite a lot. Uh, well, mom sometimes, even my brother sometimes. I used to get angry a lot. I used to get very easily frustrated. So my advice to loved ones is be patient and show love to the stroke survivor. Show love and be patient. After his stroke, Nama initially found it difficult to adjust to life, but he's now got a renewed, positive outlook on his recovery and is back working and volunteering. Thanks very much for listening to Stroke Stories. Please do rate and comment on the episodes that you hear and like. That'll help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please get in touch via our DMs on Twitter or Instagram. They are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Listening.